Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who, if I were to properly introduce him with all he has accomplished, we'd actually run out of time each and every single week. He is a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame and is commonly referred to simply as the voice of basketball. From 1967 to 2004, he provided the soundtrack to New York City's Autumns as the voice of the New York Knicks as well as the New York Rangers. He has handled the play-by-play for six Super Bowls, Wimbledon Tennis Championships, boxing, has worked as co-host and reporter for two World Series. He currently works for Turner Sports, serving as a lead announcer for the NBA games on TNT. If you are a longtime listener of WLIE Sports Talk, you know that he is the man solely responsible for my love of the New York Rangers as he allowed me to see my very first Ranger game on the radio. It is an absolute thrill for me to welcome broadcasting legend Marv Albert to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Marv. Mark, uh, thank you. Uh, would you like a job as my agent? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Everything is 100% Mark will be sending you a bill, by the way. <laughs> So, you know, here's the interesting thing, though. When you're growing up as a kid in Brooklyn, your members of your family owned a grocery store on Brighton Beach Avenue between 3rd and 4th Streets. So I'm wondering how a childhood environment of a supermarket fostered such a love of sports in your family, because obviously your two younger brothers, Steve and Al, are also sportscasters. So where did that the tremendous love for sports come in your household? It was the bagel department that really got me going uh, when I'd hang around the grocery store. Actually, uh, my father would uh, take me to games when I was a kid. You know, we'd see the Brooklyn Dodgers at Emmett's Field. There were Nick games, Ranger games, uh, which was a, a, a great way to grow up. He was a big sports fan. And I just got hooked on either announcing or writing sports, and one of the best uh, birthday presents I ever received was a, uh, uh, I'm sure you probably never heard of a wool and sack tape recorder. Oh, I, I remember those. Yeah, they, <laughs> they had I'm, I'm reel to reel, so yeah. uh, in those days that was a, a big deal. So I would turn the sound down on the TV, as uh, so many other, you know, present-day sportscasters have done, and I would do the play-by-play. And my brothers would uh, actually do color or, you know, read, uh, the commercials between innings or between uh, uh, if it was basketball, you know, on foul shots, whatever. So uh, that was the start of it. But then I, uh, I was fortunate to get a job as a ball boy uh, while I was in high school for the Knicks. And by being around Madison Square Garden, I ran into Marty Glickman on a number of occasions, and he saw how interested I was in sports casting. So I ended up doing statistics for him. And uh, that began a long relationship with a, just a wonderful guy who uh, went to Syracuse. I went to Syracuse and had some opportunities up there, and uh, mostly actually as a, as a disc jockey. And I did uh, baseball, the Syracuse Chiefs AAA team. So that led to uh, working for Marty in New York at WCBS Radio at a very, at a very young age. And they happened to be doing the Knicks. And the Rangers, and uh, to cut the short, story short, I began sitting in for Marty uh, when he had conflicts. 
so that's where it all began. You know, it's interesting you mentioned your time uh, announcing for the triple uh, the AAA Syracuse Chiefs, which were the affiliate at that time of the New York Mets and the Washington Senators. And this is where, when when you look back in history and you take a look at certain things, oddly enough, you are not the first New York Ranger, New York Nick broadcaster to broadcast Chiefs games, as Jim Gordon also did that. But the 62 Chiefs, I believe, had Choo Choo Coleman and Ed Cranepool on that team. What do you remember most about calling those games? Well, actually, I, that, I think they came uh, slightly after uh, I was there. Uh, they were, at the time, they were a combination, as you mentioned, the uh, Washington uh, Senators and uh, also, it was, it was things were different then. It was several other clubs that would feed into uh, the Chiefs. But what I remember most was, and it was great experience. And I, I was the second announcer, announcer by the name of Peter Scott, who had it was a very popular talk show host uh, in Syracuse. We to save money, they would not send us on the road, so we recreated games, uh, you know, with crowd noise and uh, sound of bat making contact with ball etc uh so that was tremendous experience i mean you're basically using your imagination to do that and you know people who uh have been around for a long time may remember an announcer by the name of les kiter who did it very well in new york the year after the dodgers and giants uh moved to the west coast and it was a very popular feature he would recreate their games uh on wins uh, radio in new york the, the best story about the recreations that anyone's ever told us is Ernie Harwell once right. told us that he was getting the feed and he was recreating the game, and the feed stopped, and he had to stall yeah, for time. The chicken he, broke right. down. He, yeah. made, he made a story up about a dog wandering onto the field, yeah. and when he got home, his wife said, that's so interesting. A dog, and she goes that, he goes, that never happened. I made it up. That was like one of my favorite stories. You, you mentioned the Nick Ball Boy and, and having access to the great Marty Glickman, 1963. Uh, you get to call a game because Marty got stuck coming back from Paris. The first game you called as a 21-year-old was January 27, 1963, Knicks versus Celtics. And it's interesting to me because with all this talk this week with with KD and and the Golden State team being like a super team, you take a look at that team that you broadcast that night, the 1963 Celtics. Uh, Eight of the players that took the court of the 10 that were on the roster that night for the Celtics are in the Hall of Fame. They have a combined 69 championships among them. What do you remember most about that 123-110 Celtics win? And is there a tape of that game of you calling it anywhere? I don't, I don't think there is, although we tried to tape it at home, and I, I never did you know, hear a copy. I don't know if I want to hear it, hear it actually. <laughs> but uh, it, what I remember most was, well, the Knicks really had a terrible team. And the Celtics, as you mentioned, you know, with all the uh, Hall of Famers, were you know at the top of their uh, they they were in the middle of one of their championship runs so we knew it was going to be a blowout it, it was like uh, you take a look at the court and you say who shows up these sides you know it was, it, uh, it was I remember Jack the shot Foley who was a former Celtic was a, a big star up in Boston in college but uh, was a member of the Knicks, and that was the highlight because every time he got on the court and he didn't play much, there would be a rousing ovation uh, from the crowd. This was, at, of course, at the old Boston Garden. But uh, just uh, uh, my brother and I actually t- had to take a midnight train. As you mentioned, uh, Marty was uh, stuck in a 
snowstorm in Paris because uh, he was doing, at the time he was doing uh, harness racing, and he had uh, a meeting in Paris. Uh, so we took an all-night train, and uh, you didn't sleep at all, and it was a day game, too. So uh, when we got to the press gate at Boston Garden, I mean, here I'm 21 years old, and, you know, Al is about 16, uh, my brother Al. So we had to convince the uh, guys at the press gate that were actually doing the game, and I, what I did was opened up my briefcase to show them the commercials, but they still didn't believe us. And uh, fortunately, Eddie Donovan, who was then coach of the Knicks, who I had gotten to know, uh, was right there and said, "No, they're okay," and we got in. But uh, it, it was a long discussion before we were able to actually even get into the arena because the guys thought we were just trying to get you know into a game and not uh, pay the admission price. You know, Marv, AJ Carter. When you talk about Marty Glickman, the influence he had on you, I think Boston, I think Johnny Most. So I'm trying to think, what other announcers, as you went around and listened to, had an influence on how you shaped your play-by-play calls? Well, I, I, actually, well, there, there were a number of them, but you, I always tell uh, young sportscasters who are you know, interested in getting into it and doing play-by-play that you really have to develop your own style. And the way I sounded then was probably very close to Marty because I was around him all the time. I'd answer the phone at home, and I sound, you know, I'd sound like Marty Glickman, who at the time was the voice of the Giants' uh, football. He was the voice of Knicks basketball. He was doing harness racing at uh, Yonkers Raceway. He was doing high school football game of the week. So, uh, and he he was just uh, so great with me in terms of, you know, he'd point things out. Occasionally, and he'd ask me to listen to his broadcast, and this is how selfless he was, and say, you know, if you have any suggestions for me, uh, please tell me. And I'm thinking he's asking me to uh, give him, you know, critical analysis on his broadcast. But he he was just so helpful uh, with me, and uh, I know he has been also with other uh, young sportscasters because he did teach a course at uh, Fordham. University, but there were so many uh, outstanding announcers when I was growing up in New York. Vince Scully was one who I uh, had the pleasure of working with when I was at uh, NBC. I loved Les Kider for his enthusiasm and he had a different type of style. I liked Mel Allen, uh, Red Barber. I mean, it was it was a Hall of Fame crew of uh, broadcasters who were working in the New York area where I could you know hear them, and then in hockey. Uh, which was not readily on the air at the time in the 60s, and even, it, it, I would say, by the early 70s, you could either on radio or TV, and I'm, I'm talking about the Rangers, who actually were not on for a while before I started to do them. But uh, I used to listen on a shortwave radio to Danny Gallivan, who was the voice of the Montreal Canadiens, and Foster Hewitt, who was the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, when I started doing the Rangers, I really got such a kick out of meeting both of those guys uh, when I ended up doing Ranger Canadians or Rangers uh, Maple Leafs. So I, I would say that particular group really stands out to me. 
know, tonight is your first appearance on WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. So if my calculations are correct, we need to get you 125 more times to equal the 126 times you appeared on David Letterman, where the Albert Achievement Awards and Pee Wee Hunt's 12th Street Rag instantly mm-hmm. became a fan favorite. Were you surprised at how popular those appearances were? And are you surprised that either Jimmy Kimmel or, or Jimmy Fallon haven't called out to, to get you there a, as a monthly guest? Well, I, I've been on uh, Jimmy Kimmel a number of times. Uh, one time I did play some bloopers. I think, uh, well, with Jimmy, it was uh, more of a question of uh, he felt that was kind of a Dave thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and he didn't want to, uh, he's kind of, he stayed away from some of the features that uh, Dave would, would run. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I have no idea. You know, I mean, I, I'd certainly, uh, it'd be fun to do, but. Uh, it's really something I, I don't see happening in the future because I think it was so associated with uh, Letterman. Uh, Dave Letterman's show that it probably would not uh, be used elsewhere. I mean, I've done it in other uh, other forms, but not. Uh, in fact, I did it on Johnny Carson once. My one appearance on Johnny Carson, uh, where I did uh, bring the. Uh, uh, I didn't even know the. You know, actually, it's the first time I've heard the ragtime, the actual name of the. Uh, <laughs> That lively, wonderful <laughs> tune that was the background uh, for the uh, for the bloopers. Uh, the the what beauty of YouTube. That, is it really started on the when I was doing the local news at Channel yes. Four, and we would uh, you know do it once a month. And uh, Dave was across the hall in his studio. That's where they when he first started at NBC. And he said to me one day, we would always run into each other in the hall. And he's you know he's a big sports fan. How would that? go with a live audience and i said hey that's a, that's a really good idea because you have the response with the in the news studio you know you would have uh, uh, chuck scarborough and sue simmons tom snyder whoever was at frank field uh and the cameraman kind of snickering or laughing you know that was that was basically the audience but with a live audience it obviously adds to it and of course he would have all kinds of things to say during the course you know when you're running it so uh, he he really I thought he helped you know with it very much. It's great. The the beauty of the internet is there's so many of. The, I watched a couple from like eight, 1989 and 1990, and they're still great to this day. You know I've been lucky enough to cover the Rangers for the last ten years and have gotten to spend a lot of time with your son Kenny, who's one of the nicest guys in the industry. He once shared a list of the color guys he's worked with over the years in all the sports, and it was pretty amazing. You look at some of the names that you've worked with: Boomer Sison, Bill Walton, John Davidson, John Andres, Bill Chadwick, Sal Redlight, Messina, Magic Johnson, just to name a few you of all the guys you've worked with over the year years who do you feel you had the best chemistry with you know there are so many of them i'd hate to uh, single anyone out but i i would say in in basketball it's a guy who's making his return tonight coaching the golden state warriors as it turns out uh steve kerr and uh the czar mike fratello uh you know always we work together very well. I mean, I, I like to have a little lighter touch, let's say. Uh, John Andres was, was tremendous. And I enjoy working with Reggie Miller and Chris, and Chris Weber uh, because you're able to kid around aside from, you know, getting uh, information. Uh, so I, it's hard to point to one person. But I did send a, a text to, to Steve Kerr, who I see during the season. We do so many Golden State games on, on TNT. 
Uh, and he is making his return, as I mentioned tonight. And I said, Steve, it's so good to see you back. Don't screw things up. Uh, <laughs> I think they were like 54-1 and one under Mike Brown or something like that. You know, you know so, it's so interesting that in the open you said, you know, can you hire me as your agent. I'm wondering if you're getting checks from Steve because uh, I know that, you know, he came to you for a little bit of advice when he was weighing the two offers between the Warriors and the Knicks. Um how do you think his choice uh, worked out for him? <laughs> I think pretty well. Uh, I, I wasn't the you know he actually talked to a lot of people, but I think what it came down to he's really a West Coast person, and uh, his kids were going to college out out on the West Coast, and I think all you have to do, Mark, is look at the Nick roster and look at the Golden State <laughs> roster. I, I think it's a pretty easy decision to make. Yeah. Um, I mean he he was definitely. Uh, uh, tantalized by the fact that he'd be working with Phil Jackson. He and Phil are very close, and, um, you know, from his days as a member of the Chicago Bulls. So that was, uh, you know, I think that was a, I don't think he would even thought about the possibility if uh, it wasn't uh, Phil that was, uh, you know, general manager, president of the team. But uh, obviously, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a pretty good choice he made. Do you, do you think that the triangle <laughs> played any role in this? That, you know, as we've seen how things played out with the Knicks and resistance, coach the triangle, don't coach the triangle, Phil wants the triangle. Do you think, and how do you think it would have played I don't out? Think, with I that? don't think so. I don't think that was even because he plays some triangle with the Warriors. But look at the personnel. He could play, it's like with, you know, any terrific team like his days with the Bulls or, you know, if you have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen uh, plus good shooters like Steve and John Paxson and, you know, people like that or, or you have Shaq and Kobe and you surround them with good shooters, it's going to work. But there are teams that play aspects of it, but they usually have, the, you know, the right players. That's, that's, that's the difference. I, I don't think that would have been a fact. He would have done, you know, whatever they wanted to do, but uh, again, you look at the Warriors, it's not like he just walked into you know, a team because Mark Jackson had done a nice job. And I, I should put Mark in the conversation of announcers who I enjoy working with because we did a couple of years with the Nets together, and he's terrific. But, uh, I mean, Mark had that team turned around, and then things did not work out. And Steve made some key moves, that, I mean, aside, aside from the acquisition of Durant. But he... Uh, went to Andre Iguodala and said, I think you'd be better off you know, coming off the bench, and he started Harrison Barnes, and that really, I thought that was a, a tremendous move, because uh, Iguodala turned into be a very valuable guy. Uh, he's such a good defensive player, and he's uh, you know, a spark coming off the bench, and people also don't, oh, now they're beginning to recognize that, aside from the fact that they score a lot of points, they are a fantastic defensive team, although if you look at numbers, it's deceiving because they blow so many teams out that in the fourth quarter the game gets out of hand and they give up a lot of points, but they are really outstanding. As Cleveland saw the other night, they're just outstanding defensively. You know, for a guy who called those Nick Glory years, how heartbreaking is it to see the state of this franchise now going on 45 years and counting since the last championship? And not only that, uh, you know, a friend of mine today, we were talking about this because, uh, and AJ's more the basketball guy on the show, I'm the hockey guy. But for me, not only has the game changed, but the person, 
for me, my, my point of reference, obviously, are the 69-73 Knicks. You know, even then, Dr. J, the ABA Nets, uh, you know, Bird, Magic, uh, all that. But you take a look at those two Knicks teams. Forget about the players. You look at the personalities and what they all went on to do post-basketball it's truly amazing. I don't think well, that we'll was ever unique. See... Yeah, that was a <laughs> yeah. very unique yeah. group. I mean, as you say, you look at what happened after uh, basketball. You can say that about a number of teams, the Lakers and the Celtics, also, and that's going to be the case with the Golden State Warriors. It turns out. Uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt to also have a, a smart bunch of guys, and that's the case with Golden State and you know several other teams in the league, but. Um, yeah, it'd be great if uh, for the NBA if uh, the Knicks would have a, uh, a, a good team, and same with the Lakers. But uh, as we see, it doesn't really affect you know ratings. I mean, you can have a great team in Oklahoma City, and people know who Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant when he played there. They, you know, you look at commercials; those are the guys that are that are being featured. These days, it almost doesn't matter where where you play. But it would be better for the league. If uh, teams like the Knicks and the Lakers, some big market teams, were really good, Chicago too. I mean, at least they make the playoffs, so uh, there is some success. But you know, they got they, you, you need you need really good teams in the big markets. It really does help. Uh, in case you just tuned in and you don't recognize that voice and you really shouldn't even be listening to us, obviously we're talking to the great Marv Albert, um, and we know we only have a few more minutes with you. Uh, we're about. Uh, 28 minutes from tip-off of Game 2 of the Finals, and A.J. is the basketball guy. Yeah. So after this one question, I'm going to turn it over to him. Um, you know, the Warriors are looking to win their 14th straight playoff game in a row. Which, would, which do you think of these two would be a more impressive feat? Last year's NBA all-time best 73-9 and record, then not winning the championship, or this year possibly being the first team to totally run through the playoffs without a loss? Oh, that would that would be incredible. <laughs> it's, I, I don't expect that to happen. I, I mean, it can, but that would be uh, particularly in the West. Although uh, they were fortunate because uh, San Antonio uh, was so beaten up, you know, without uh, they they just didn't have their guys. Uh, Kawhi Leonard got hurt. Tony Parker was out. Uh, so that was a different San Antonio team, although they're so deep, they're able to play their bench and get away with that during the regular season. But uh, and the 73 wins is, uh, I I think they regret that they went for it because it you know it had its effect I think in the playoffs. And to me, the major difference last year was Steph Curry, and they didn't you know parade the information around, but he was hurt. Yeah. You know, he wasn't the same guy he is. Uh, this season. So, uh, but if they win the championship uh, this year, uh, I mean, they're better than they were last year. I think Cleveland is actually better than they were last year. Uh, now they are. During the season at the last month and a half, they were not because their defense really had, had problems. Uh, so, uh, I think they would, the Warriors would say that winning the championship would be more impressive. I mean, this is a team that, well, they won 60. Eight games, sixty-seven games, whatever. But uh, that's uh, that's not bad. Last question or two more. A lot of conversation, chatter around problem with the league. That's basically a two-team league. That even as you get through playoffs, that didn't have a lot of competitive games or competitive series. From what you've seen out there, covering games all year and particularly covering these playoffs, 
what do you say or what do you say to that criticism or comment that it's really a two-team league and for the rest of the league, it's, you know, why should you care or be interested to the casual basketball fan like Mark? Like me. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that assessment. I, 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 they do need uh, better teams, particularly in the East. Uh, I, I think the West is solid. It turns out in the playoffs what you know where the matchups were, and uh, of course injuries play a role. Whatever the sport is, and, and Memphis too was a much better team during the regular season, and they were banged up uh, at at the end of the year. But uh, yeah, it would be it certainly would help, and I think you'll see it uh, because there are some teams that are going to make a jump, like the Celtics, because of the uh, they will have the number one pick, and they Thanks have the other picks yeah. coming up. You know, they have guys to trade. They're so deep. They're going to be very good. Um, and they have an excellent coach. And I think teams like Minnesota, the T-Wolves, are going to be uh, a team on the rise, as will the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, I think it's all going in the right direction. I think it goes in cycles. And it just so happened this year that, uh, particularly in the playoffs, uh, when I think of the run that I had with the teams we did, we might have had just – Two really good games in the playoffs, and we yeah. did a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. Last question for me. Again, uh, criticism, comment in the league about especially Popovich, but other teams starting to follow and rest stars during the games. How do you feel about some of the proposed solutions? You know, you can't rest them on the road because it's unfair. Teams come in once a year. How do you feel about that whole controversy and situation? Well, of course, you know, in the past, when there are 82 games, the guys usually played. Uh, the schedule is different now because you do have a lot of uh, situations where it's three three games and four nights and uh, you know you have back-to-backs and I know that Adam Silver the commissioner is looking to try to help that somewhat by you know the season's going to start earlier it's going to start uh, early to mid-October and that'll spread it out a little bit he gave them you know he, he made sure there was a, a, a nice respite after the all-star break uh, I, I, I mean if you're a team that uh, has stars, I mean the major stars we're talking about, where people on the road might see them once, you know, if it's a uh, east-west, west-east situation, uh, yeah, you'd be upset if uh, LeBron sits out in uh, in Memphis or Durant, you know, sits out at a, in an eastern team uh, or Curry sits out. Uh I don't know if you can directly say, hey, they have to play, because there might be times where the guys are legitimately injured or banged up. And it's it's a difficult, it's really a, a difficult issue, but I think spreading out the schedule will help quite a bit. I, I don't think they should ever shorten it, because then you start messing with uh, statistics, and uh, that's always a big part of all sports. And I, I, I don't think I, it should be 82 games. Maybe you could shorten the preseason. That might help a bit. Marv, we appreciate your time. Tonight. A couple of takeaways. I know that Ryan, the intern, is now going to be spending lots of time in the grocery store in the bagel aisle, be his most inspiring <laughs> you know, announcers yes. after hearing that today. And the one thing, when I see Kenny at the next event, I'm going to tell Kenny, Kenny, you need to find the reel-to-reel of your dad you know, recreating games with Steve and Al doing the commercials because that will go for a That's, fortune on eBay for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but if anybody could find it, Kenny can. He is, uh, he, uh, I would say, in the most uh, affectionate way, he is a hoarder of uh, <laughs> material like that. So maybe somewhere in his files or, you know, in his study, 
it uh, you know it's, it's lying around. I don't think so though. That'd be uh, that'd be tough to find. Marv, guys, thanks very much. I appreciate it. You know, we really appreciate it. Thanks for your time tonight. More importantly, for your role, as I said, in making the games come alive on the radio for me at an early age. As I told you a while back, my upcoming Ranger book is dedicated to you as you instill the love of sports in me that still burns bright all these years later. I truly cannot thank you enough for that. This was a huge, huge thrill for me, and I really appreciate it. Well, Mark, that's very kind. Nice talking to both of you guys. Thanks so much. The appreciate one, it. the only, Marv Albert.